I listen to the Black Guy Who Tips podcast because Rod and Karen are hot. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast. I'm your host, Rod. Joined as always by my co-host, Karen. And we are live mm. on what appears to be, don't check your, your watches and your count. It is actually in the middle of the day. It's 1 p.m very special timing very special taping yeah, and so we're some of y'all gonna get this early and gonna be like i thought i was gonna be in a chat i'm sorry you no nah, i'm it. sorry you missed it you mm-hmm. we, we had this on the schedule for weeks um and we have a very special guest first time on the show today's guest is host of going wild with dr ray wayne grant uh which uh may be a spoiler for who the guest is uh ah! conservation scientist large carnivore ecologist nature storyteller an advocate and expert on the human carnivore conflict dr ray wayne grant hey how you doing hello i'm real good i'm really happy that we started by talking about music so my day is good <laughs> also i have to say i'm on pacific time so it's still morning here oh okay yeah. well you know morning vibes you know this is a great way to wake up mm-hmm. I, i'm actually drinking coffee because um this is how i make my living with this podcast so i've only been up for like uh 30 minutes so that's you know it's like we both <laughs> we both on west coast time i went to bed well, late everyone's on west coast time. <laughs> <laughs> so um i guess the first question that uh we have for you um can you explain to people what your podcast is about um and uh and then we'll get into like some of the stuff with like what what, what you do Yes, yes. So um, my podcast is a storytelling podcast. So I am on there telling all of my craziest, like most adventurous stories from my life as a wildlife ecologist. So I like I spend a lot of my time in the wilderness. I'm the type of scientist that studies wild animals. I try to figure out how to like protect endangered species from going extinct. For example, if you remember, like, back in the 90s, when I was a kid in the 90s, like, bald eagles were on the endangered species list. Mm -hmm. We were all freaking out because we are like, we're not going to have no more bald eagles, whales, like, what's happening? So wildlife ecologists like me work on trying to figure out how to save these species from going extinct. And then sometimes it works, right? Mm -hmm. Like, now bald eagles are off the endangered species list. Like, there's enough of them. We're doing okay. So to do that, I have to spend a lot of time in some wild places, like full-on wilderness. I get my hands on lions and bears and wolves and coyotes and all these animals. I've lived in, you know, Central and East Africa multiple times. I spend a lot of time in the wilderness traveling around the world for these animals. And I, as you can imagine, have crazy stories from, you you know, almost 20 years of doing this crazy stories. So I collected all my stories, found the absolute best ones, and I have presented them in my podcast, Going Wild with Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. So it is not like just me kind of talking to the audience. It's literally me taking you step by step through like tracking lemurs in the jungles of Madagascar or looking for lions on the savannah of Tanzania or, you know, grizzly bears in the United States. And what makes my podcast, I think, really amazing is that I bring my, like, my full self to these stories. So there's always, like, a hunt and adventure in the wild. Mm. But there's also, like, a personal, like, mental, emotional journey I'm going through at the same time. A lot of it is about 
my personal identity as a black woman, like in the field, having these experiences, like how my identity, like, like makes the experience very, very unique and different. Mm. And so I bring that as part of the story too. So there's like, there's some really personal stuff in there, like really, like really. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I talk <laughs> about like mistakes I've made. I talk about like, you know, I had a marriage that ended, mm. you know, as this, like, as I was in, you know, looking for lemurs and, you know, just mm. like all kinds of stuff. I really try to bring a fullness to it. And yeah. then okay. on season two of my podcast, I invite some of the people I know, other black folks who are wildlife ecologists, um, to tell their stories, like, mm. like their adventure stories, but also like, how their blackness kind of mm. played into that. So I have like, you know, a black hyena scientist, a black coyote scientist, a black uh, lizard expert, a black wildlife veterinarian that's worked all over the Middle East. Like amazing, amazing, amazing people. Wow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you deal <clears throat> just, I'm just, and I'm asking this question as, cause I know you being black, you've got this question. How do you deal with family members and friends that are like, uh, nigga, what you doing out there in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you out here messing Listen, with these animals? I mean, I'm just Listen, asking I that cause I know 20... that you got asked that, that ignorant ass question before. <laughs> oh, which well, is, can you which is Karen's you way, explain to my, which is Karen's way of asking that ignorant like... question, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you can imagine, like, I have, my whole family is black, right? And so, can you imagine me talking to my black grandparents, you know, when I was 19, 20 years old, saying I'm moving to Tanzania to study lions? You know, like, so, yes, like, you are absolutely mm. right. Like, it has not been easy right. to try to explain this. But part of that, honestly, is a failure of of our society and I don't Agreed. mean black society I mean yeah. like like kind of American society because mm-hmm. black folks and maybe maybe everyone have kind of been taught that like there's science is one thing like science is like sitting in a laboratory with a white coat on and like pipetting chemicals mm, we're like right. that's that's science mm-hmm. science isn't like hiking around the wilderness with wild animals right. right and so it's just such a foreign concept yes that like that in itself is scary and then let alone like it's not like i'm studying like snails and ladybugs like yeah. i'm studying these ferocious wild animals so what i usually try to just kind of like give people perspective is that like i could be a firefighter Right. I could be like, you know, in the military, I could do a more dangerous job where like, you know, the possibility of dying is higher. Right. But this one is just so unfamiliar that like it kind of freaks people out. That's so a great I've, point. I've never been apologetic. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. a great yeah. point. Because like I remember when I worked at Pizza Hut, 
um they wanted me to deliver pizzas in the hood and i was like absolutely not Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna work behind the counter Mm -mm. and 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 that has to be more dangerous than the chances of me running up on a bear like it's it's absolutely it's funny how just in my mind there's certain things that i've associated with like danger but because it's normalized i'm like no nah, that's fine but then if you said like let's go on a hike i'd be like i don't know it's mountain lions out there you know <laughs> yeah, yes because <laughs> it's like you think about it like how many times do you read in the news that like someone was killed by a mountain lion like maybe once every like three or four years right but how many times do you read that like someone got robbed and stabbed or all the time or like, that? like yeah all, all the, the time t- yeah so that's why i'm saying like it is it's not a it's not um more dangerous job than other jobs but like there is there is a lot of possibility for error in my job (laughs) because like i'm in places where you can't find me so it's like Mm. let's say i even like like you know ate something poisonous and needed help like you i I can't call an ambulance you know to Mm. like come get me i can't just go to the doctor so so for sure like there's a lot of risk in my job but i'm telling y'all it's so fun it's really exciting. It's very healing. I spend mm. a lot of time in nature, and that is very, very healing. And then when I do get my hands on these wild animals, it's in a safe way. Like, I always right. have to sedate these right. wild animals before I approach them. So I walk around with a tranquilizer gun. Okay. And I have to say, it looks like a real gun. It looks like the scary kind, but oh. it's not. It just shoots It shoots tranquilizer darts. Mm. And I walk around with that, and then if I see a wild animal from afar, I pew, like shoot it with the tranquilizer gun it goes down mm. and then i approach it wow right? okay. so it's like you know i'm being reasonable here you yeah. can use and, that for people too you know yeah any person walk you up on sure you. could <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna i would you. love to see the police i would love to see the police replace listen with tranquilizer darts i would It'd be a lot that. safer yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be a lot mm-hmm. safer and mm-hmm. i think for me uh the reason why i asked that question on the upfront is because i think for a lot of black people is coming from a safe place because i think for a lot of black people their whole lives is to protect me and to protect mine and protect my family so for a lot of black people they couldn't fathom going out somewhere where mm-hmm. you're with the danger on purpose <laughs> you know yeah. it's like we're being <laughs> hunted like you know so for us we're like you know what? I'm not adding any more extra danger into my life. So for you to do that for a lot of people is wild. But I could imagine, and you can hear it in your voice, it's something where you go, okay, this is what you were called to do. You was like, this brings me joy. It's true. I think also that it's per- true. that perception is changing because I believe it was Beyonce that said, uh, we back outside and you outside, <laughs> but you ain't that outside. <laughs> and I can't think of being nothing more that outside than rolling up on a bear you know to check out what's going on with it so um Wait, i have to write that down i need to make a tiktok or something i'll link you to the youtube when we put it up right what what are some of the scariest moments that you've had in your field because i know doing this well h- hold on before we get to that question hold on okay we actually have a question from the audience so okay. the audience can ask, ask questions, questions yeah. in the chat ask questions mary is asking a question i think it kind of coincides with what you're about to ask okay. which is <clears throat> what do you do if you see a bear i've heard three different things to play dead or act really big and scary or run run i have not heard that one i heard what is, don't run <laughs> bears run like 40 miles an hour yeah, like oh you can't outrun a bear that's never like mm-hmm. if it don't come get you it's just like i was full you know what i mean or what like it's, it's not like <laughs> anyway what is the best strategy 
Okay, first of all, I'm glad y'all know this. Never run from any wild animal, okay? Like, there are very few wild animals that we can outrun. Right. Like, we can't outrun a dog. We can't right. outrun, like, what makes you think you can outrun, like, an even bigger one, right? Like, people can run, what, like, five, six miles an hour? They're land right? sharks. These animals run, like, yeah, we run, like, they run, like, 25, <laughs> yeah. 30, 40 miles an hour. So, don't run. Don't climb a tree. Okay, these animals are better than us. Yes. Don't mm-hmm. jump in the water and try to swim. It's, it ain't going to work. So the answer to this, though, is that it depends on what kind of bear you're looking at. Ah. Because here in America, we have three types. We have black bears, brown bears, and polar bears. <laughs> mm. So if you're if it's a polar bear, just, like, forget about it. Yeah, you did. Like, you, you might not make it. Yeah, I'm sorry. If it's a brown bear, <laughs> a brown bear or like a grizzly bear, grizzly bears are brown bears, right? Grizzly mm-hmm. bears are what we call a subspecies of brown bears. So if it's like big and brown, it's probably a grizzly bear. And in that case, what you do is you back away slowly. You back away slowly. And then this is very important. Do not look the bear in its eyes. Mm. Okay? Do not make eye contact because that's what prey do. You ever hear like a deer in the headlights, right? Like the prey Mm. like freezes and locks eyes, right? So that signals like I am prey and I'm freaked out. So you look like above its head or Mm. down at its feet, but you walk away slowly and you don't make eye contact and you just show the bear, I am not here to hurt you. I am mm. leaving. I am not a threat. Okay. Mm. That's with a brown bear or grizzly bear. With a black bear, they're less aggressive. And so with a black bear, you still back away slowly. But what you can do is if you have like a jacket on or something is you like pull it over your head. So you look oh, bigger. So wow. that way you're backing away because you're like, I'm not going to hurt you. But you're also saying, but I could because mm. I'm so big and tough. Right. <clears throat> so a black bear is less aggressive and they're more likely to run away. But the best thing you can do, honestly, honestly, is just preventative measures right and that's like for anything like that's mm-hmm. for public health that's for anything like right. better to prevent a bear attack than have to respond to it right so, if you're out in bear country and you're like hiking around go out with another person bear mm-hmm. attacks almost never happen if there's two or more people mm-hmm. bear attacks happen when there's like someone by themselves ah. okay so like go out with another person you'll probably be fine but if you are by yourself like walk around be noisy bang some sticks together just so mm-hmm. you're not catching them off guard because bear attacks happen when bears are surprised that you're there and oh. then they're like they freak out about it because they're mm-hmm. like holy shit i was not expecting a person right this is unfamiliar i'm scared so i'm gonna attack So just like, you know, be loud and obnoxious when you're, you know, sing to yourself, whatever you want to do, and you'll probably be fine. Okay. And I know polar bears don't have like any, they're just like apex predators that have never run across something they couldn't kill and eat. So it's just. And that's actually all bears. So like all bears are at the top of the food chain. They have no Mm. natural enemies, Mm. right? Like they're just at the top. So they're not afraid of people but Mm. they also just like don't want no problems like bears do not want to fight you they don't want to fight them each other they don't want to fight you they are territorial for a reason like they create these territories so they just don't have to deal Mm. with any problems outside of it i don't have the energy i am trying to get fat so i can hibernate like that is my goal i don't want no distractions so like you know, the only time you're ever going to see, like, two bears fighting is, like, on YouTube if you're mm, looking for it. Like, right. in the real wilderness, like, they're not 
they're not trying to do that. They're just so, trying to like have an easy life, eat and sleep, you know. So like how disruptive is it to their uh habitat and their environment? when there are people who do stuff like feed bears in their backyard right that's what I, they tell people don't stuff like, do that you know stuff like that oh my god don't do it and then right? they break so, into the house <laughs> this is like this is like my like pet peeve honestly is when mm-hmm. people habituate wild animals to humans because right. i'm like we're not talking about like the neighborhood cat like right. wild <laughs> animals something that's hundreds and of pounds hundreds of pounds ferocious dangerous and like they aren't trying to be like in your neighborhood right Mm -hmm. the only reason a bear might come in your backyard is because it's hungry and it wants food Mm -hmm. and it's also realizes that humans make food more easily accessible right because it's kind of hard to like go fishing right right? like if a bear is like wades into the water and spends five hours fishing might get a couple fish like that that's challenging Mm -hmm. but like digging through your trash can is easy yes it is and so that's why they're coming over. It's not that they like trash better. It's not like, you know, anything like that. It's that honestly they're like, how can I how can I like do the least amount of work but get mm. the most calories? Right? It's Listen, literally like I know that life. I live yes, that life. Yes, okay? that's how like, people live, the, live live our lives. Every day we make this decision where like I could go to the grocery store right. and I could pick out my food and I could come back and cook it or I could order delivery. Right. And yes. do the least. What's the most right? like, it's the that's same why course. that's why Yogi like picnic baskets. Because it's like exactly. y'all just leaving them out and I'm hungry and I live here. This is actually my house. Right. Y'all are my DoorDash, honestly. So I appreciate y'all. Uh, Literally. We- <laughs> and so, and so, so like the great thing about bears is that they're really, really smart, right? Mm. Like that's why people used to put them in the circus and stuff is because mm. you could teach them very mm. well and they can learn. So as easily as bears can learn that like, food is at in some at someone's house they can unlearn that so if you uh, stop leaving food out if you lock up your trash can if you put your dog's food bowl inside instead of mm. outside they will very quickly learn like there's no food here and mm. they'll stop coming and they'll go back to fishing or getting honey or whatever mm. in the forest so that's what everyone needs to do is just like okay. stop what you're doing stop it and right. then let them like go back in the woods where they belong we oh. have another question uh, what has your connection with being in the wilderness done for your mental and spiritual health? That's from Miss Fit Noir. Oh, um, it's done a lot. It's documented. Again, I have to just shout out the podcast. It's really, really, really in this podcast. Um, a lot of very personal stories. I have, you know, I've been fortunate that I haven't had tremendously traumatic events happen, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm a like, <laughs> like 37 year old woman. So like stuff's gone on. Right. And I've found that. Um, a lot of my experiences in nature have been very, very lengthy. So usually when I go to the field, it's for like two or three months at a time. Mm. And it's a lot of like survival, right? Like I have everything I need, but I still have to survive. Like I still am living in a tent, you know, in a mm-hmm. forest or a rainforest or something all by myself. And so that kind of like basic kind of primal lifestyle of like eat, sleep, survive, you know, collect my data on my animals or whatever it allows me so much time to myself and a lot of very personal challenges that it's been it's been very healing it's Mm. been very very healing um just like a simple 
you know, lifestyle. Um, mm. Also, there's nothing like sitting around a fireplace, you know, or around a fire, campfire, you know, every night and just like thinking, mm. get to do a lot of reading, all that kind of stuff. Now, I will say that I also like believe in therapy and mm. I've spent years, you know, going to therapy, like seeing an actual therapist as well. So it's, mm. I'm not saying like if you have horrible trauma, go on a hike and you'll be cured. <laughs> but I'm saying it's like a really, really good compliment right. to some serious therapy. And it has helped me tremendously. You're saying well, therapy I'm- before therapy. I get it. I get it. Well, I definitely want you on my apocalypse team. Uh, me and Roger read a study where they were saying like a certain percentage of Americans was like, I can survive in the wilderness. And I looked at Roger and I was like, they a lie. I said, because most Americans, mm-hmm. particularly if, if, if you're not like, like homeless, really don't know how to quote unquote survive because all the things like running water, toilet tissue, like all the simple things that we quote unquote take for granted, you don't have, you know, you don't know how to farm. Yeah. You don't know how to plant. You're not like my grandma and they will be going down to going down the street when I was younger. And they'd be like, there's some greens or some or something I can cook. I'd be like, well, I guess I'm a die on top of food because I don't know what's poisonous and what's not. No, don't lie to <laughs> how, yourselves, Americans. I think, I don't think there was a question in there, but how is the human no. carnivore conflict going? Uh, we're winning, right? no uh yeah we're winning yes literally so human carnivore (laughs) conflict so carnivores like i study you know all the meat-eating animals and yeah we're winning but like not in a good way yeah right so a lot of people you know and again like like i don't want (laughs) to i don't want to make this all about race but Mm -hmm. but when i say like we yeah i'm not talking about everyone oh yeah i'm really talking about like the way that I feel like like, white um, men have structured American societies. Yeah, I feel like we have seeded this type of um, this type of expansive. Let's run into the woods and take it and like cut down the trees and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've seeded that to that's white people's territory. Like Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the reasons when people hear like, "Oh, you're you're blacking you out in the woods." It, there's like this undercurrent of like because white people are supposed to be out in the woods it's all steve Irwin right. and bear grills yeah, they think and, of cornfields right. and stuff and yeah, yeah so get shot no thank you so even this idea of like um like when i say we yeah i mean yes humans but i mean it ain't us mm-hmm. we don't be out there chopping down trees right. and no. messing up bears but uh, I, living habitats but i'm glad and i'm thankful for the people like you who do that job because that's how we collect the data that like you said that's how we mm-hmm. protect the creatures you know mm-hmm. and things like that that's how the uh environmentalists make their laws and rules and kind of know what to go to congress about so it's like these jobs are absolutely needed yeah, somebody got to figure out they endangered somebody got to you're right and y'all got to have numbers and statistics you can't be looking like oh well you know the bears is just gone one day you got to have something but to back that up humans are definitely the tom brady of this conflict right like we this is like our seventh <laughs> super bowl it's getting out of control <laughs> we on the streak it's getting yes it's getting out of control and let me just like give an example right mm. so i do a lot of work on grizzly bears in montana mm. and it's very very interesting because i'm looking at like okay what do grizzly bears need in montana today mm. but it all stems from you know 100 150 years ago when like white men came through montana and killed everything yeah right like they killed people they killed a lot of indigenous people 
or tried to. Mm -hmm. And then they killed all the animals they could Mm -hmm. because they were trying to clear a path to do like ranching, like cattle ranching and farming. And so they like took land, they stole land, they removed people or killed them. And then they killed all the wolves, all the bears, Mm. all the mountain lions, all the coyotes, like everything, all the elk, everything so that they could graze cattle. Mm. So here I am today, me and all my colleagues, and we're trying to like fix that. Mm. And so it's like. Yeah, we have all this conflict with carnivores, but like they were there chilling, like living with indigenous groups. Everyone was okay. Right. And then like in history, like settlers like came through and destroyed and caused like mass death. And now we're trying to kind of like correct that Mm. now. With with you, so to me, it's like to me, it's like it's science. There's a science, but it's also like very race based like yes. i find it's like definitely a social issue that isn't being addressed because i'm right. like uh, like like can we at least acknowledge how we got to this place right because we're trying to make it better and we can and we have the science to do that but like can we at least get some acknowledgement that like mm. there was a group of people who did tremendous harm to other people and to the environment and now we're in this mess. Mm. Right. Over uh with you studying animals and stuff, over the years, have you seen the diets of bears change due to their proximity and their interaction with people? Because I know you were saying how they go through garbage and stuff. I was like, yeah, the sugar mm. and all that stuff. Like, I know that has got mm. to a- affect these animals because these are mm-hmm. things that are abnormal to just being out in the forest. Right. That is such a good question. I really love that question. So, I'll shout out my podcast again. I have an episode in season one of my podcast that is really unpredictable. So I can't say too much because it'll spoil it, but it's okay. very suspenseful. And I think we called it What Killed This Bear? Mm-hmm. And it's like a forensics mystery. So I found a dead bear in the forest, like way back in the forest, like in mm-hmm. the Sierra Nevada mountains, right? And it was just dead. It didn't have a bullet hole. Mm-hmm. And it was like unclear how it died. It was freshly dead. And it was like, what is going on? So me and my colleague did what we call a necropsy which is like an autopsy, but for a wild animal, it's called a necropsy. So we like took out our giant knives and we just like went through and dissected this bear to try to figure out what killed it. Wow. And so it's, it's such a good episode and it was this real life crazy story, but essentially it was because this bear had gone through a dumpster, but I'm still, I'm not going to tell you what killed it because it was, it was, it's something you will never guess when when you but, found um, the, when you found the body did you at least make a pun like oh this is a grisly scene <laughs> some something like that <laughs> oh that's so good you know i i only make bear puns on accident and oh. so like i'm not trying to and people will be like ha ha and i'm like oh yeah, it's probably yeah, it's probably hack for you to do it. All right, like it's, it kind of gets old pretty fast. I, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, we could do the puns. But all I will day. say, I will say that my like, there, I have a mentor who kind of taught me anything, everything. His name is John Beckman, and he wrote a paper, like a scientific paper, about 
trash bears, right? Because mm. it's like a, most bears do not eat out of people's garbage cans. It's like mm. a couple bears every in every neighborhood do this, but it's like most bears do not. Most bears, you never see them. They're just in the woods and they're chilling. Mm. But he did a comparison on like trash bears versus what we called like backcountry bears. Mm-hmm. And we found that the trash bears like a couple things. They they are healthier, and I'm hmm. using air quotes. They're healthier because they get fatter. Uh. And in a bear's life, unlike with people, in a bear's life, being fat is really, really good because mm-hmm. it helps you survive hibernation. Like, they have to, like, when they hibernate, this is like three, four, five, sometimes six months where they are not eating uh. anything. Uh. They are just, like, in their little den sleeping they don't consume any food, any water. Wow. They like, I mean, it's wild. It's really, so they just have to burn body fat for months. And mm-hmm. so getting really, really fat is very, very necessary. I mean, I imagine if people did the same thing, then being fat would be great, right? right? Because like, we would be like, okay, well, I need to like not eat for right, half the for year. six years. So, <laughs> so these trash bears are getting like all this junk food and it makes them really fat and that's actually healthier for them. It allows mm. them to like have a higher survival survival rate. Mm. But what it also did is that it brought the female bears into reproductive maturity earlier. Ah. So it was like the trash bears were like going through puberty at a younger age. Just like Mm. humans because of the hormones we put in our foods. Right. Yes. Yes. And so that is interesting because again, Mm. for a bear, like that's not necessarily bad, right? right? Like for like humans and society because like society can be harmful to women and mothers and whatever like that's different but for bears it's not necessarily good or bad it Mm. essentially means that these females will have more cubs over the course of their lifetime and like as far as evolution goes that's a good thing it's like you're like Mm. evolutionarily like a more powerful have you you know everyone's heard of like survival of the fittest yeah right like that's like if you know anything about evolution you're like survival of the fittest Mm -hmm. that's the thing a lot of people think that means like like fitness like like strength right. and like muscles and like you know actually that's what it means for humans survival of the fittest is talking about ecological fitness mm. which is a very distinct thing ecological mm. fitness means how likely you are to pass your genes into the next generation's gene pool mm. so you are more ecologically fit if you have 10 babies than you are if you have three babies. Right. That's fitness. So survival of the fitness means whose genes are surviving generation to generation. Mm. It has nothing to do with like your body type mm. or like how strong you are. Okay. So these female bears that eat garbage and get really fat are more fit mm. than the females that don't eat out of the trash can because they have more babies over the course of their life. And so the gene pool is has more of their genes in it so we're kind of helping did i explain that well enough i want mm-hmm. every black person like in the whole world to understand that survival of the fittest is actually about dna mm. not about like body type and like strength yeah now nah, that that makes total sense and i i mean I, it's probably just a, a phrase that's being co-opted by like you know goes gym or something and then it turns you know like it's, it's a good thing to put on a slogan <laughs> t-shirt yeah yes. but for but, everyone's new year's resolution <laughs> yes. yeah exactly it's a cool poster board um how long have you been a carnivore ecologist and what was the path to to get there 
Yeah. So I have been a carnivore ecologist. You know, I, it kind of depends on on how people view it. Like a lot of people are like, you're not a scientist until you get your Ph.D. So in that case, like I got my Ph.D. in 2015. Mm-hmm. That's when I became Dr. Win Grant. And I guess that's when I was a carnivore ecologist. But I started studying carnivores as a college student. Okay. And it was only because I grew up watching nature shows. So I was born in San Francisco, like in the city. San Francisco doesn't have an inner city anymore, Mm. but it did in the 80s. And so that's where I'm from. And so I grew up in the inner city of San Francisco. And being inside was really important because outside wasn't super safe. And so I watched a lot of TV Mm. and I loved watching nature shows. Like my parents wanted me to watch the educational stuff and I watched a lot of nature shows and I loved them. And so I grew up thinking like nature and wild animals are like, like far away, like not in California, but like, like, like in South America, in the Amazon only. Right. Right. Because all I knew was like the urban space. And so when I was a kid, I used to tell people, I want to be a nature show host when I grow up. And everyone's kind of like, that's cute. Okay, those are fun. You know, whatever. But I was still saying that when I got to college. So I remember, like, the first day of college, my advisor was like, so what do you want to major in? I was like, whatever can make me a nature show host. That's what I want to major in. (laughs) And so they were like, okay, well, there's this thing called environmental science. And I'd never heard heard of that. And so I was like bet. All right. Like all major in environmental science. I went to college at Emory University, which is in Atlanta. And so again, like all I knew were urban spaces. I loved Atlanta. Like that was my jam. And so, you know, I started studying environmental science in Atlanta and it was just okay. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was all right. I kind of realized early on as the only black person in my class, I was like, all these white kids seem to be really familiar with the environment. Like right. they're not just getting this information from the Mm-mm. textbook right. that we're reading. They've been on the and ground. And the PowerPoints we're looking at, like they've been outside. Yes. <laughs> so I realized very quickly, I was like, oh, I need to have a relationship with nature and the environment mm-hmm. to actually enjoy this. Right. So I signed up for a study abroad program. I was like, I'm going to do the most intense nature study abroad program I can find. And it also had to be, like, affordable because I had a scholarship to school. So it was, like, the program Mm. had to, like, fit within the scholarship because we couldn't pay extra. So I found this program that took me to the bush, the the southern Kenya bush. Mm -hmm. And we were living in little huts outside of a Maasai village Mm. um, in the in the. East African bush. And I moved there for a semester and went from like, well, California, Atlanta life to like camping in the wilderness with like giraffes and elephants and lions and, you know, zebras. And literally on my first day, like I remember we landed at the airport in Nairobi, Kenya. They picked us up a little van and we drove down like eight hour drive to our field site. And on the drive, I saw my first wild animal. Mm. Like I just like like from the road. I was like, "Oh my god, like that's a giraffe." Like that wow. I, I can't believe it. I'm seeing my first wild animal. That same day I took my first hike ever. I was 20 years old, mm. one of my first hike. I pitched my first tent. You know, I saw my first wild animal. It all happened on the same day. Wow. And it was that day that I was like, 
oh, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is it. Like, I may never be a nature show host. Right. We'll see. But this is what I want to do with my life. Oh, what? We're, um, oh, we're rooting for you. No, n- never give up on your dreams. So, trust. We, I we, haven't given up. I we, haven't given up. I'm we, still trying. Trust me. I, we, tell everyone I, I can't I wait to host. see your show and be like, you know she was on our podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to happen now that she was on the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we pretty good with that. You know, we, got, we, get, mm-hmm. we get a good bump. I mean, it might be luck. I don't know. It could be skill and talent and all the work you put in but we're gonna take credit. we're gonna take credit um <laughs> the which nature show host like influenced you like who were were there people that you were like oh that's who i want to be or i want to be like that oh yeah yeah and you know what's funny is that you know often we have this narrative of like if you can't see it you can't be it mm-hmm. um you know because representation right. is important and and i believe in that very 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 much and I also think it's interesting because I was inspired by these like British and Australian white guys yeah. who were very different from me. And yet I was like, I want to do that. I want to yeah. be like those British and Australian white guys. So, you know, David Attenborough and, you know, Steve Irwin, mm. um, you know, and like everyone on, you know, Mutual of Omaha's Wild yeah. Kingdom, you know, like all those guys, even you know even um jeff corwin Mm. you know he had a great show like all of those you know bill nye even he didn't do a lot of nature but like you know even bill nye like all of these like middle-aged australian british white men Mm. like really inspired me to do the job that i do today and i don't like like that's interesting i think that's interesting that i wanted to be like them even though they're very different from me i think what it means is that i didn't necessarily believe i could be like them i knew Mm. what i wanted to do but i didn't necessarily believe that i I feel like every first black person that's that's what they had to do right like every Mm -hmm. every first which we're still having in 2022 all the time Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. every first had to be like i could do that rocket science or whatever and now you know and then 60 years later we celebrate them with a movie or whatever but the point (laughs) being like that that i think i don't think that's unusual at all i think that's just more indicative of the field and the mm-hmm. obstacles that we face in these fields when when mm-hmm. it's like i mean i mean we started our podcast 12 years ago i don't know that there were i don't remember there being any black podcasts at the time uh yeah. <laughs> like like yeah, people search our they would search itunes to find our back when you had to get on your ipod yeah, or, your iPod. Um, oh my uh God. people would search itunes for black mm-hmm. and that's how they found our podcast because it just wasn't a lot of black podcasts so the first people i remember looking up to uh, was a, a white white people uh keith and the girls this mm-hmm. podcast and they did a show out of their house and i and we were like uh, well i was like why why can't we do that you know what i mean so like mm-hmm. it wasn't like i was trying to be like them i wasn't trying to be mm-hmm. white it's just that's what podcasting was and that's what inspired me so i think very much um that that's got to be a cycle for everybody that's kind of pushing those boundaries and you know we're definitely uh rooting for you to to get there we are uh when you was talking about seeing your first animal in the wild how did that put like this most people particularly in america see like giraffes and they see them in like the zoo like uh, mm-hmm. h- how did it how did your mind process oh this animal isn't behind bars this animal is just living this yeah. life. like like I, I just wanted to know like how did you comprehend that for the first time because like i said most of us 
watch them and that's a protection if that makes sense versus you seeing mm-hmm. them actually just living their everyday to day lives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was it was amazing it was really it was really amazing i felt like i had stepped into one of those nature shows that mm-hmm. i always wanted to be on and i'll also say you know the first wild animal that i saw that day in kenya wasn't wasn't a giraffe or a zebra or whatever it was this animal called a marabou stork and mm. i feel like the world needs to talk more about marabou storks because we're driving on the highway and so like in the far distance like 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 half a mile away you could see these giant birds and marabou storks can be like over five feet tall right so they're like the size of thank you thank oh those you. are those like animals you see online they are my size and the way they walk across the landscape they look like velociraptors like you're oh. like this is like who like i thought dinosaurs were extinct because it's they're just like this dark velociraptor shape walking mm. across the savanna and so that was my first impression where i was like wait i thought i was gonna see an elephant like i thought like where's the rhinoceros like what is this i didn't know what it was and so I think that had some magic in it, too, where I realized, oh, you know, the wilderness offers so many kind of non-traditional, like, hidden, like, surprises. Right. Right? Obviously, like, Kenyan people know all about marabou stories. Like, there's, you know, Kenya's full of black folks who are very in tune with these animals. (laughs) But (laughs) as an Amer, as a black American, like, I had no idea. I just knew, like, the, the, you know, the zoo animals or the Mm. nature show animals. Mm So... So that was magical, too. It was kind of like my first moment I realized, like, oh, I'm going to discover stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not maybe discovering it for the world, but I'm discovering it for myself and, like, for my family and my girlfriends. And, you know, so I'm going to... I'm going to discover there's going to be so much learning that happens. And that was exciting to me. You know, I will also Mm. say it's probably obvious by now, but I'm a nerd. And so like, you know, whatever you're a nerd about, like whenever you get that spark, you really get it. It like hits you like a ton of bricks, you know? So I am like a wild animal nerd. So Mm. when I saw a marabou stork, I was like, Oh my God, I have arrived. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird that somebody fascinating. It's weird that somebody saw a stork back in the day and was like we should use this as a myth about delivering babies right because you just <laughs> right? you just like described it as like very velociraptor like and somebody was like you know what we should say that's where the baby came from don't tell the, chick, the kids <laughs> the truth which is wild um also um when you're talking about um like the kind of science you're studying like it's specifically with like carnivores so mm-hmm. what was what what was it that made you go I wanted to study the animals that eat things. Yeah, so this is just because I'm basic also. (laughs) Like, honestly, I don't... Like, people ask me that all the time. They're like, why carnivores? And I'm like, because... When my professor said, what do you want to study? I said, lions, because mm. why, why wouldn't I, you know, like, I was didn't the Lion King out study. at the time? And maybe that <laughs> the was Lion the King had been out. Yeah. Lion <laughs> King had been out. But like, <laughs> like I didn't necessarily get, I didn't necessarily believe that it would happen, but someone said like, what do you want? And I was like, I want, I, I'm here. I'm, I want to study lions. And then it did happen. Like, and then that was available. And mm. so, you know, if it taught, if it taught me anything, it was like, ask for what you want. Wow. Um, was it like a lot of, it? it was, how does it work? I was based, I, 
are there a lot of people that wanted to do the lines or were there like not a lot of people that wanted to do the lines like how does that work so like in carnivore ecology it's 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 a competitive enough field right Mm -hmm. and so again like this field kind of got started many decades ago by like privileged white american Mm -hmm. men and so like the kind of the leading lion researchers of the world are like privileged white American men. Mm. And so it just so happened that when I was doing this study abroad program in college, all of my professors, we had four of them, they were black African men. Mm. They were like black Kenyan men. Yeah. All the students were white, you know, all the staff, like it was an American Mm. program, but they were like black Kenyan men who had gone off to Europe and the United States for their PhDs and then come back. And so I was the first black student they had ever had in this program. Wow. I was, of course, the only black student at the time. So I actually got like special attention because these guys were like, Oh, thank God. Like, look, look, you're here. What do you want to do? We're going to like really facilitate this for you. And also for the first time, I got to see people like me in this field, right? right? Because like the nature show hosts, like we're white guys, the, you know, my professors at school were white guys. All of my classmates were white. But for this one semester in Africa, like my professors were black ecologists. And so I was like, oh, apparently I can do this too. Like, look at this example. And they, you know, they helped me by just like letting me select the animal I wanted Mm. to study. Like it wasn't a huge thing. They could have done that no matter what racial group I was from. But like, so they like kind of slotted me into the project that I wanted to do. And then, you know, it was on me to do a good job. It was on me to like, you know, be rigorous about it. But that's how I started was from asking what I wanted to people who cared a lot about me. Mm. And that's how I got started. And so I, I continued to study carnivores. I started with lions in graduate school. I switched over to bears Mm. right now. I am a a faculty member at a university and I'm studying mountain lions Mm. and you know, I imagine I'll do it forever. Wow. And did they teach you how to shoot the dart gun or you had to learn that on your own? Yeah, no, I was taught, I was Mm. taught, I was taught for lions, like by lion ecologists. I was taught for bears by like bear experts Mm. and now i teach people but yeah i i didn't just inherently know how to shoot guns yeah do you i would have been out there holding it sideways don't don't do that do Do you make your own tranquilizing stuff or does it all come like pre-packed i know that might sound like like bullets you know Mm -hmm. uh, you don't make the bullets but you can go buy them right yeah no we buy it so like there's kind of a market like so i usually buy it through the wildlife agency so in, you know in the u.s there's like every state has a wildlife department mm-hmm. um and so like you have to work with the government in order to get mm-hmm. permission and permits and stuff to get the drugs and it's like comes in a little vial it's just like a sedative um it's not the same that we use right. for people it's just for wild animals and then you know you take your <laughs> syringe and you like dip it in you put it in the dart you load your darts up but it is like you know, there are a lot of checks and balances in right. place. Like you have to like have permits and then right. like be approved by the state government and then have like a lot of oversight around it. Wow. So that it, sounds gotta, like such a novel idea that the state policy? and government would regulate <laughs> who gets the, the hold of this dangerous 
weapon mm. that can be in that can be used for I, it just seemed anyway it's i don't want to get political imagine that <laughs> wow it can wow. happen that, more, that's more very effective i mean we really don't have very many like undocumented like wild usages never of tranquilizing we've guns. never i've never tranquilizing. heard of a mass tranquilizing no one's run up in the school and tranquilize kids it just seems no anyway i don't want to get political we have another question we don't want to be political at all no we don't have the bears talking about bear lives matter we don't have that problem we have another (laughs) comment a question aside uh this says an aside this is from wangangi who says aside did you find your american accent cause people to treat you differently in kenya and i'll just add to that and did you know when you said like coming up the host of these nature shows i just remember my dad loves nature docs Mm -hmm. and i just remember the voiceover ones where one is always funny because they create like a narrative of like you know this lion we'll call her betty does such you know like that thing but it was all it always makes me feel like oh yeah british accent that's what goes with this Mm -hmm. um so yeah did like how was your how's your accent been treated or is that you know even a thing for you Oh my gosh, I have so much to say. Okay, the first thing I want to say, though, like to your point, is that over the summer, National Geographic came out with a nature documentary. It's called America the Beautiful, mm. and it's narrated by Michael B. Jordan. Oh. And so, like, kind of disrupting this yes. whole, like, British accent kind of thing. Michael B. Jordan narrated America the Beautiful. It's streaming on Disney+. Plus. Um, I'm in one of the episodes, so like, but everyone, everyone, Michael is not in any of the episodes. He's just the narrator, unfortunately, but, um, but yeah, so like to that point, like things are kind of changing and we're getting other accents, but to the reader or to the listener's question, I have two podcast episodes from season one of going wild where I talk about all of the ways that my identity as like an african-american young woman was kind of an issue Mm. um for my time in africa and i've lived on and off in east africa several times so like there's that first time as a student and then like i came back several times and then all of the ways that i was just like an american asshole and made a lot of mistakes and Mm. faux pas so it was like both ways there were some times that i was treated really really um unfairly Mm. because of my identity even though i was black in a black space like it it was my americanness um like kind of was a was a target and then also i guess one thing that said i i quickly learned that you know, if I thought being a black woman in America was really hard and unfair, I very quickly learned that being a black woman in parts of Africa is harder and more unfair. So for people who did not notice that I was American, I got treated worse, right? Mm. Like, like I was just like, oh, she's, she's a, like, I kind of learned very quickly, like, if someone rapes and murders me, like, Mm. nothing's gonna happen like Mm. african women are not like taken care of in that way like it's Mm. like i'm kind of gonna be disposable but like if someone knew i was american maybe they'd care more if i was white then it would just wouldn't happen in the first place oh no we've seen fox news it'd be 24 7 
recovery. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Dr. Ray Wayne so like Grant I, has been missing. We for seventeen minutes. We we going live to Hannity right now. Yeah, that little yeah. pageant girl. We've been hearing about her for twenty five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so again, like I, I have to say there's a lot of context to this mm-hmm. because I also first started traveling to East Africa like like before the internet was right. kind of ubiquitous there, right? Like the internet existed in the States, but like I was going to like the bush, right? right. Like, like, like Southern Kenya, like living with people who are still living tribally. Like I was going to those spaces so that the globalization had not hit yet. Right. But if I go to the same spot now, like everyone's going to be like, let me post you on right. my like, TikTok. Yeah. yeah. Like, and show <laughs> the world. So it's very, very, like that nuance is different. Like being there right before like mm. smartphones and internet right. and kind of like the global kind of community being connected meant that I had a very different experience. And so in a lot of ways it wasn't good. In a lot of ways it was mm. very informative. I will share that like, I traveled to this part of Kenya in August of 2005, mm-hmm. and that was right before Hurricane Katrina happened. Mm. And so I did not know that Hurricane Katrina happened because I ah, couldn't, I so was not connected to the world, right? Like my parents right. had to write letters, they had to travel, mm. you know, from America to Africa to Nairobi, and then like every month someone would drive up to Nairobi and get letters and then bring them down we'd read it and then we'd write back and then go back so it was like a three-month turnaround to even communicate so it took so long for me to learn that hurricane katrina happened that when i did learn it like i remember i had made friends with all these like maasai Mm -hmm. folks and they like i had a time magazine um my parents sent time magazine that had like just the image of like you know bodies floating in the Mm. water you know like black a thousand black people were dead you know because of like george bush's or you know the government's Mm. response and they were asking me they're like wait you spent the last three months telling us that like things are good for black folks Mm. in america that like you know like so how do you explain like a thousand people like Mm. drowning when like a thousand white people did not you know so it was very very interesting that Mm race came up so much even though we were all black right like uh, like having to like discuss and articulate like race like Mm. was a big part of my experience while i was also like you know learning about wildlife for the first time really really interesting stuff wow yeah that's that that's interesting too because that means you didn't know kanye west said that uh george does about black people oh, kanye which is yeah. how he came to like everybody loving him like that and then when he ran up on taylor swift which i still don't forgive but whatever um but yeah then so now you don't have to like be disappointed because you know you never had to fall in love with them after katrina so it's kind of a blessing in disguise you gotta look <laughs> at the, the good side and the bad side of it i have uh, been on a kanye emotional roller coaster man what listen um do you wrap your hair up when you go like in the woods like how like are you do you bring like a silk pillow for your do you just put braids on like how does yeah yeah. how does that work yeah i i braid my hair Mm. um for sure um it's almost always okay because okay like i know that there are women out there black women out there who like take really good care of their hair when Mm. it's in braids i do not okay i do not take good care of my hair when it's braided i ignore it i don't wash it for the most part Mm. like 
okay like i know like it's like i'll step it up one day but it's very convenient for me to be like braids in i'll see you in two months Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so that's my mo the only time it was not a good choice was when i was doing some work in madagascar i was living in a rainforest for five weeks in madagascar trying to find some lemurs Mm -hmm. and you know again the tropics are really different right it's like wet it's humid and it's constantly raining and there are these things called tree leeches okay we all know about leeches right but in madagascar there's tree leeches and they're up in the tree canopy Right. And because it rains so much, the rain slides the leeches off and then they fall onto your head <gasps> and like down your shirt and like into oh, all the no! little nooks and crannies of your body. And you, they're leeches. So you can't feel them when they bite you and start sucking your blood. So you really just like, you don't know they're there. So when I had braids in Madagascar, it was a big problem because they're small. Tree leeches are itty bitty. So like, they are just like in, oh, no. under nope. the braids. Nope. Nope. And in there. Oh no. And it was, it was horrifying. It was like a horror movie, but my real life. It was. Oh awful. no. So oh, when do you God. find them? Were you just looking in there all over your body? That's when you see them? I had, to, I had to get a friend. I had to get a buddy. Okay. Unfortunately, a white person mm. all right and they had to like yes yep there they are oh no there they, mm-hmm. they had to kind of dig through my hair and then pull them out one at a time and that's when you can feel it because they're like stuck they're like mouths are like stuck in you oh, oh. nope yeah. Yeah. oh my god mm-hmm. why don't they just stay in the water where they're supposed to be oh mind mm-hmm. your business leeches never heard of a tree mm-hmm. leech in my life stick to the rivers and streams that you used to we don't need that i also had not heard of tree leeches like i had had leeches on my body like yeah. a normal just, field biologist right. like plenty of times correct where you just like it's gross but you can like pull, pull it off yeah. right your skin yeah the hair was a whole new level i have not been back to the rainforest of madagascar mm. i don't know if i will yeah i'd definitely be wearing a hoodie or something um, come on tree leeches or something ha- and like so what's the wildest like thing out there that that you've experienced with it with that type of like um not like a predator like a bear or something but like um parasites like you just say you had leeches on you uh ticks like what what else is out there oh my gosh it's the little things you know i have again my podcast like because all these stories are my podcast so actually the most popular episode we have so far is from season one it's called near-death experiences mm. so i talk about all the times i almost died but a lot of people think it's because like you know a bear right. like attacked me i do have like bear stories in that episode but the craziest stories are from the little things they're mm. stories about like like putting on my boot and like almost stepping into a scorpion <gasps> or it's stories about like you know i had this horrible moment with what we call a red spitting cobra Oh, okay, so you know, like cobras, like cobras are always in like cartoons and stuff, and they have like that hood, you yeah, know, in their head, and they come up like this. Mm-hmm. And red spitting cobras have these fangs, and they shoot venom, but mm. they aim for your eyes, and so they oh! the idea is they shoot venom at your eyes, and then you go blind, and then you can't see anything, you fall over, mm. and then they kill you. And mm. I had a horrifying oh, no! moment with a, a red spinning cobra yeah 
Yeah, oh, see, that is like, not what you want. They can look like they shoot pretty you see that? too. You see shooting that venom? Yeah. yeah, they can hit you right in your eyes. Yep, that is not yep. the business. Oh no! And so, mm-hmm. so somebody studied them too. No, thank you. Hopefully they weren't yeah, glasses. <laughs> they weren't goggles if they studying those. Did you? Were you like working with that, or that you just were working on something else and then the scope came to show up? up. No, oh, no, I was studying lions. Yeah, I was just studying oh. lions, but there was a, like a cobra slithered into my tent <gasps> and I asked for help to get it out. Like I was with a team actually of, of black uh, Tanzanian mm. um, ecologists. And so, you know, one of the guys was like, sure, I'll help you. And and it was, you have to how did the you, episode, but it was how do you horrible. For, it was a really bad moment. How did you ask for help? Was it like calm or were you yelling? No, I was calm because, like, every so often, we, you know, we all get snakes in our tents. Yeah, okay. But I just, like, I had this feeling. I was like, you know, I think this is one of the, I one of been the scary snakes. I would have been dead. I would have been dead. Oh, yeah, he had cobra venom in his eyes. He died immediately. He was yelling in the middle of the, in the, middle <laughs> of the, the night. Forest. Just and attracted all but the I creatures. I people. Like, I do tell people, they're like, aren't you scared of the lions or whatever? I'm like, yes, of course I am. Of course I am. Like, I'm also scared of an elephant stepping on my tent in the middle of the night Mm. and smashing me. I'm scared of all these things a little bit. But, like, really, like, a mosquito will take you out. Yeah. Like, you get malaria and, like, it could be over real quick. So it's like the little things you know or like or like the invisible parasites like i had e coli i had giardia like the little things yeah. invisible can really, they can really the, oh you. Mm-hmm. when you talk about being a nerd wow. do you mean like the old school version of nerd like that i grew up with because i feel like being a nerd has changed in my lifetime and now it just means yeah. you like marvel movies and you like go watch star wars and stuff like that them the safe nerds so are, <laughs> yeah so like are you like an old school nerd where it's like i like to read and, and that type of stuff or are you like are you or do you watch uh you know all this all this nerdy stuff that's like pop culture stuff okay so i, I guess i'm more of the old school nerd mm. Because I, I like, like, okay, so my husband is a nerd nerd, like the mm-hmm. current nerd. He's like a real black nerd, like Marvel. Yes. Like superheroes. Speak my like language. Did he play video games? Like, he doesn't play video games, but mm. I bet if, like, he might, he might when I'm not looking. Like, he mm. really, like, okay. he might. I like, I think he, he wants me to think I'm, he wants me to think he's cool. Right. So he might not, but, but he might. Right. But, uh, but like he's a real nerd so like one of our first times hanging out together was um to see black panther the first one yeah when it came out like because we had hung out like we, we met at work and stuff so we had like hung out before but like he invited me out and he was like he made it very clear he was like if you don't fucking appreciate this movie <laughs> like, in advance right he was like he's like i am not oh, here like, for it yeah we are just like he was like i'm not saying go see the movie and then you appreciate he's like you better appreciate this in advance yeah like he made me prove to him that i was worthy Mm. of going to see black panther because he had gotten you will not disappoint me (laughs) yeah like it was like he was like he was like and my friends are coming and there were all nerds yeah it's kind (laughs) of it's kind of unfair because you can't do the same thing to him right like you can't be like we are going to see some lions and if you don't appreciate this before we even get to the camp don't you embarrass me in front of my african friends and shit we will feed you to the lions like it's like like that can't be reasonable but 
um now that's so that's I am like like i like i i don't spend my time like you know in these different like fandom right mm. universes and stuff but and part of it is because like i like i the entertainment i like is actually like like very glamorous like very superficial very glamorous like i love me a good reality show yeah. about women who just like wear makeup and outfits and heels and, fight. and yeah like, like i like Beautiful. that and i think it's because it's the exact opposite of my real life like yeah. i spend so much time like pulling tree leeches off of my scalp that right. i'm like i actually want my escapism to be something that's like glamour and Listen, like, like honestly like fancy it's the exact opposite <laughs> of all our lives okay none of us can be the real housewives of atlanta we Mm-mm. we're all just having the opposite experience of kenya they're, okay they're, <laughs> they're one of a kind <laughs> this um top of their class mm-hmm. how has like mm-hmm. um because i mean i'm i'm sure it's always been like political right because our experience as americans our your experience as a woman your experience as a black person but um throughout the last probably at least six years i'd say a little bit longer but um i feel like a lot of stuff is just that used to be considered not political has become political so like pbs political now you know to people npr like mm-hmm. there's a there's a party that wants mm-hmm. to cut the funding to mm-hmm. to these institutions um and they do good work and they work in facts and and right, i put reality only put facts in quotes because some people out there uh don't believe in that anymore so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. has have you seen that creep into what you do or is it still uh you being a person that's more out in the in the wild is it is it less political than the other stuff that people find polarizing you know that is such an interesting question and again like this like i know what you're saying and and again i just i always want to highlight race because like this isn't an issue for for black folks in general right right? like like we're pretty like consistently like left-leaning like democrat like but but what's interesting is that like the environment has become politicized. It's like mm-hmm. for some reason, like caring about the environment where that we, we live, all depend on yes. where we live. This planet is like being left, you know, right. liberal, and like destroying it for a short-term gain is like you know conservative, and that's super weird to me. Yes. especially because, especially because, like now that I study. Um, a lot of like bears and mountain lions in North America. Like I spend all this time in like the Western United States. Like I like spend a lot of time in Montana right. and stuff. And like I spend a lot of time with these like outdoorsy, like white folks where it's like if you're in the outdoors and you're dressed in all the gear and you're like hiking around, somehow that's seen as being like, like, political and the like right-leaning like conservative mm. white left right. but if i say like i care about this <laughs> animal or this tree or this soil yeah. like all of a sudden that's like to the yeah left. so it's this really weird thing where i'm like right. we're all here <laughs> yeah i'm not out here to and, kill it and was it's like, oh you're not gonna yeah, shoot the bear and, so, and kill it yeah and so oh. that's it it's like oh you're not hunting like, like <laughs> so know. a lot of so it's interesting because if you say conservation there will be a lot of white folks or like i should say like like conservative folks who'll yeah. be like i believe in conservation i want to keep wild animals around because i love to hunt and, and i can't them. hunt if there's no wild animals right. so let's keep enough of them around so that we can hunt and have fun right and i guess like 
in those areas, like maybe our ideas align. I'm like, I want to keep them around too, like right. not yeah. to kill them for fun, but but right. like but just so they can keep the ecosystem uh, like functioning. Live. Yes. And yeah, like exactly, like give us like fresh air and water. <laughs> yes, did the, you know, so it's really. I was gonna say, did the pandemic um, come into play at all with? Because uh, I feel like outdoors was considered pretty safe um i mean still it's the safest Mm -hmm. of the places to be um but like does does that come into any play because also i know there's like an overlap with people outdoorsy people and 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 conservative people and stuff with this ain't real it's all i don't know a pandemic and shit like that and then i get then obviously being a in science being a doctor is like you have to you have to deal with the fact that you know it is real and so like was does that come up with with you being with uh, around all these people yeah i have to say that i have lately and really in like the last couple of years had to just kind of um step away from conflict and confrontation mm. just to protect my energy. And I never thought I'd be that person. I was always like, I'm going to, you know, I have the energy to like, you know, speak the truth mm-hmm. and get these people to see what's going on. And I've lately had to, yeah. had to be like, I, I have to take care of myself. And Correct. apparently part of my self care is not engaging in these conversations. Right. Okay. So that's definitely a new thing, but it did come as a result of me spending so much time in Montana mm. um, where mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, I just, wa- I just want to do my work. I never right. thought. I yeah. I just want to do my like, job. I just want to do my job and not have to defend like, like kind of basic social values right. of people or of the world. Like, thank me later when I save this entire landscape from crumbling from right. environmental destruction. Like, maybe we can talk then. Right. But like for now, I just need to like because it's like it's 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 crazy out there. It is, it is yeah. like crazy. I, in fact, like, I want black folks to get out to recreate in nature, all these places. But I also want people to do it in safe spaces that are like mm. socially safe spaces right. right and there are some places that i infiltrate that i do not think are safe i mean and even during the pandemic you know we had someone like ahmad aubrey yeah. you know killed while in the outdoors and i know he wasn't like on a hike but he was on a jog yeah, like jogging. in a nice little area and was just shot dead by white supremacists right you know who are just like out having fun killing people so you know it is as much as i want black people to get those mental health benefits from being in nature we still need to be strategic about Mm. where we do that and the white community still needs to step up and make sure the outdoors is an inclusive and safe space for all kinds of people yeah but you're doing your traveling and you may not have an answer to this but i'm gonna ask anyway for people that are like, well, I want to go out in nature, but I know for a lot of black people that go, well, I don't go out in nature because I don't trust white people. They're more scared of them than yeah. they are the animals themselves. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. with them not thinking you belong there, like, have you heard or do you know of groups where they go, like, they got the black women travel. I don't go, well, we, we black people camping. You know where oh they kind of get yeah. Do out. I? Okay. Wait, thank, thank you. you. Okay. I am now able to highlight my some of my favorite organizations. Okay, so the number one favorite is called Outdoor Afro. 
Thank you. Okay, mm. look up Outdoor Afro, Afro. It's like a kind of like a like a club. So there's different chapters and all kinds of all over the country. There's an Outdoor Afro chapter near you. I guarantee it. And folks just meet up and you have like a guided, safe, black only experience. In I would do something best. like that. Yeah. Outdoor Afro is fantastic. I know the CEO, the founder of Outdoor Afro, a black woman named Rue Mapp. She's also from the Bay Area. She grew up in Oakland. And she just, like, lives and breathes this mission. It is fantastic. They, yeah, they, someone put in the chat, like, they just started a clothing line collaboration with REI. So if you ever were like, oh, REI, like, outdoor clothing, I don't belong there. You walk in there today, and there is a whole line of Outdoor Afro gear so that your fleece can look fly when you're out hiking instead of looking, you know, terrible. It's just, they're mm. the best organization. But also, there are many more. There is, um, there's a group called Latino Outdoors, which mm. is very similar to Outdoor Afro, which is also across America. I highly recommend Latino Outdoors. And then there is a, a summer camp. I'm really mm. proud of this. There's a summer camp for little black girls. It is called Camp Founder Girls. Camp mm. Founder Girls. It is a historic summer camp. It got started in like the 1920s or something in like around San Antonio, Texas. And it, it died for a while, but they brought it back in the last couple of years. And it is a summer camp, outdoor summer camp for little black girls only. Aww. And it is a space for girls. And you don't have to be from Texas to go. Like, anyone can send their kids. It's overnight, like, sleep away in the wilderness camp run by black folks for black girls. And it is, like, empowering them, equipping them within the, like, safety of a black girl space. Mm. So I have a 7-year-old daughter. As soon as she's old enough, I am sending her straight to that summer camp. Oh, okay, man. I'm glad I asked that question because I was like, well, would you be an outside and knowing that for for a lot of black people, that's a fear there. They go, well, how do I know I'm be safe? Well, I want people to look like me or I want to be somewhere where I don't feel judged if I pull up my fro, or if mm-hmm. I put up my hair mm-hmm. products, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just things that we do that might not, uh, white people might not be familiar with or might not be acceptable. I, right, you know, so I was right. like, well, she might know that information. Well, I think also the phrase socially safe is just, that's a big part of it you know Mm -hmm. because i think um anytime you're in a space where there's like where you're the the in the minority or whatever there's always like a little bit of fear of like just like your ideas being punished or your Mm -hmm. you know or the i like something that we consider natural like um like like saying man ahmaud arbery what a tragedy and then Mm-hmm. to there's there's a there's a, a feeling of like conflict and danger and all this stuff and it's like i didn't come to the woods for that like right like like if i yeah. like if i'm leaving my house to be in a tent i would like to be in a place where if i express like you know sadness over that i'm not in a debate about that and i think right. um yeah that's 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 definitely a big part of it and so yeah if you can find like an affinity group um where you can go out and do something together you know there's that absolutely oh. and we all have i mean again just a place where you're not gonna have microaggressions it doesn't have yeah. to be the wilderness but it's mm-hmm. like having yeah. our our kids have any space in mm-hmm. the woods out of the woods whatever where it's like at least they're microaggression free i remember a couple of times growing up i went to a sleepaway camp and it was like mostly white if not yeah. all white but probably mostly white and i remember one time like 
I was probably a teenager, like 13. Mm-hmm. And there's a little girl I was friends with. And she asked me, like, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Mm. You know, and I told her, like, oh, I like to listen to, like, hip hop or, you know, yeah, I don't know, City like Lauren Hill or something back yeah. there. Yeah, City <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I remember she said, you know, she said, my dad says that's nigger music. Wow. Oh. And it was like, that was the only, like, uncomfortable moment I had in that right. whole summer camp experience. But it was devastating. Yeah. Right. It was horrible. I'm 37 years old and I still remember it. still remember moment. it. Yeah. You know, like, it's so offensive. Right. And, you know, and of course this girl grew up, like, with that belief system. Because right. her parents gave it to her. But just, like, things like that don't need to, like, taint a little girl's summer summer camp experience, right? Yeah. Like we can avoid that. And so, anyway, so I'm just really excited that there are these affinity groups that are like, we belong outside, we deserve yeah. to be outside. You know, a lot of them just really hold this belief system that, like, our ancestors were the experts of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the first black people who came to America transformed America when it was a very wild place. Like, they were in... Right nature like we were slaves but we were outside right <laughs> like we were like in nature we were like chopping down trees building stuff we surviving, could swim fires, like we like did a hunting, lot of things like swimming mm-hmm. like we were doing all these things not because we wanted to but because right. we had to so like right. being outdoors and understanding like nature in america is something that our ancestors mastered right and so it's not a new thing it's yeah. just that a lot has changed since then i'm and still like, that we don't belong there i'm still waiting for my old black man gene to kick in so i can start my garden because it just me too i feel like all old black people just get to a certain age i don't know what the age is but it's just one day you wake up yeah, his parents and my mama. you putting steaks in the in the ground and you and you make it tomatoes yeah next thing you know you you're giving away your turnip greens your mustard greens your watermelon your yeah. squash your okra like you tomatoes. just start knowing secrets and stuff and and like oh no that's a that's a this type of caterpillar and it likes to eat uh squash and you like how did you know that it's yeah. just in our dna so it <laughs> makes sense um let me ask you this uh what's your favorite animal oh i kind of brought this up at the beginning in like the first two minutes mm-hmm. of talking to y'all i said it but um the bald eagle wow okay eagle. you know it's kind of weird because it's like that makes me sound very patriotic and I'm, not <laughs> I'm not particularly patriotic but i love bald eagles and i have to say although it's our national yeah. animal and everything i didn't see my first bald eagle until 2017 wow even though i'm in nature all the time i'm always in the outdoors i did not see my first bald eagle until 2017 and i was driving from new york city to the adirondack the Adirondacks in upstate New York. Mm. And I was just on the highway, like driving, and I kind of looked up and there was a bald eagle soaring overhead. I almost drove off the freeway. I was crying. I was so moved because it's just gorgeous. The way it just soars and it's so big and powerful and the way they like, they like rock it down and grab fish Mm -hmm. and come back up. So ever since that moment in 2017, I've seen lots of bald eagles. Mm. Maybe I just wasn't looking up ever, you know, but like now I see them all over. The last time I saw one was a few months ago. I was um, heading to the airport outside of Orlando, Florida. So I was just going to the Orlando airport and I was on the freeway again. And then there's all these bald eagles. I was like, in true American fashion, I feel like the bald eagle is very much got the treatment that white people gave the native americans 
where it's like we kill them out then we put them on flags and make them team mascots and all this stuff and you're like but yeah if you really have respect if you really <laughs> like the, the ultimate sign of respect isn't throwing something up on a flag it's not killing it running like hunting it to extinction or right. getting rid of its habitat right. why why did right. the bald eagle like why did it like get on the endangered species is were people like killing them or just kill, like it out was, of trees it was those um remember in the like 80s and 90s we had all those chemicals in the environment like mm-hmm. we were spraying pesticides so mm-hmm. much on, on our crops sprays, yeah. but the pesticides were impacting these eagles oh. um and it was making their eggs really thin the eggshells were becoming so thin that the the little baby embryos inside wow. the eggs weren't able to develop right because it was like oh. the eggs were cracking wow remember and so we we started like like the government was like okay we're about to lose bald eagles and that would be embarrassing so yeah. let's stop <laughs> using these chemicals pesticides and that will hopefully it'll fix it and it took you know 10 years or so but right. after we stopped using these horrible pesticides the eggshells were back to being nice and hard mm. and now bald eagles are having babies again meanwhile the dodo's just over there like word that's that's, that's how y'all do know. you know what i mean how come we can't jurassic park some dodos you know what i mean like we can we, we, can. we got the technology we can we, can, we can jurassic park anything which yeah. is like uh, pretty scary but it's possible let's bring them back like i don't know and if it does like cause some type of scientific mishap that's really on us we deserve that we shouldn't have killed them off um tell everybody yeah again again that we that yeah yeah you know we don't mean we yeah yeah yeah. we just we we didn't cause this this we has like a hidden h it in it yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm not pronouncing the h-i-t in the middle of this this we all right um can i let me can you tell everybody where to find the podcast and, and we'll wrap up Yes, thank you. So I would love it if all y'all check out my podcast, Going Wild, Going Wild with Ray Wingrant. It wherever you get your podcasts, it's everywhere. It is produced by PBS Nature. Um, but you can find it wherever you get your podcasts and please, you know, download and subscribe and, and look out. Season two is really tremendous, honestly. Like we got black men, women pioneering these sciences and telling some amazing again like mental emotional stories along with the wildlife adventures it's dope it's so good there you go y'all check it out there's all kinds of uh good information out there and Mm -hmm. supporting black people um and dr ray uh you're always welcome back we we had such a great time talking with you this has been fun i'm gonna come back i'm definitely yeah Yeah. we gotta we gotta get some of them stories out of you i know yes this is kind of more of an introductory thing Mm -hmm. and like you know like an interview style but we gotta next time we gotta find out yeah. about these close calls with mother nature yes and i hope mm. uh you encourage people to look for these groups and sign up and go out and do some naturist things kind of break outside of the box <laughs> you know right. type of thing all right so That's right. and try it once again like it, no one has to become you know the new me living outside ah! stuff, but like, try, try it once try it twice you know just a little bit you know, of nature. i'm gonna go good. for a walk today let's just start we'll start small you know start small. um mm-hmm. go out here and uh go on the back patio and and just see what's going on <laughs> all right oh, y'all you're a butterfly <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. thank y'all so much no problem thank you for coming we'll be back saturday for our feedback show um and that's it yeah so until next time i love you i love you too